Hey, good morning, Christ Church. Once again, thank you so much for joining us in worship this morning, whether you're in the room with us in East, whether you're joining us over in West, whether you're joining us online, however you're joining us in worship this morning, I want to thank you for choosing to spend part of your Sunday with us here at Christ Church. At Christ Church, we are a church about lifting lives, elevating Christ, a church for those who aren't here yet. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nathan. I'm a vicar here at Christ Church, uh, and, uh, which is just a fancy way of saying pastor in training. Today, we're continuing our message series, Happy Trails, where we're going through these different stories, these different uh, sections from Paul's missionary journeys. We're really diving in and taking a look at different, uh, different stories, different uh, places that Paul visited and kind of the things that happened in each of these places as we go through Paul's missionary journeys. Paul's missionary journeys uh, come to us from the book of Acts. We find them out in the book of Acts. It's this, these journeys that he went on to spread the gospel uh, to the early church. If you want to find out more about Paul or the book of Acts or where we've been on these missionary journeys so far, you can always go on our website, take a look at past sermons, uh, and get caught up in terms of that. But these stories are great, too, because you definitely don't need the backstory to understand what's happening uh, with each story, with each story, but with uh, the context the context helps us to kind of understand just a little bit more what's happening in each thing. Today, though, we're in the midst of Paul's second missionary journey. So we went through his first missionary journey. This is a map of his second missionary journey. So it started over here in Antioch, which was kind of home base for these missionary journeys. It was the kind of largest church at the time, uh, with the first kind of big church uh, in early Christianity made its way through Galatia, the region of Galatia, Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, over into Philippi, which is the city where the story we're looking at today takes place. Now, Philippi would be in modern-day Greece. At this time, it was in the Roman Empire, but it was also heavily influenced by being in the past part of the Macedonian Empire, which would have been Alexander the Great's empire. And you can see Macedonia is really nearby as well. At this time, though, Philippi was kind of this Roman Empire city, and it was a very like, military outpost kind of city. So a lot of patriotic Roman citizens would have been living in this city at the time. And that's going to come into play uh, shortly as we dive into the story for today. The story today comes to us from Acts 16, verses 16 through 34. We're going to go through it pretty slowly, actually, kind of verse by verse, because there is a lot of context to pull out of each of these verses to understand what's really happening in this story and help us uh, understand better uh, what we can apply to our own lives as a result of this story. The story begins, though, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. Right away, we're one verse in, and there's a lot to pick out of this verse. One day, as we were going down, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and so it's interesting that Luke inserts himself into the story, which makes it certainly seem like Luke was on this missionary journey. So Luke was on this missionary journey, and Paul, of course, was on the missionary journey. After all, it's called Paul's second missionary journey for a reason. So we have Paul and we have Luke on this missionary journey. And there's two other guys who are involved in this journey. We have Silas, who was, in a quite a literal sense in the case of this story, Paul's partner in crime uh, and on these missionary journeys. And then there was Timothy, who is this younger kind of protege of Paul, who's kind of being trained up uh, to be the next big leader in the church. And so Timothy, a younger guy at the time, not super influential in this story, but it's important to know that he was there. So as a review, we have Paul, we have Silas, we have Luke, 
and we have Timothy, who are a part of this story. And they were going down to the place of prayer. Interesting, note that. We met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future, and she earned a lot of money by telling futures. Now, obviously, the slave girl, not in the best of situations. Of course, she's a slave. Not great to start off with. On top of that, she has the spirit that allows her to tell the future, which actually sounds like a cool thing, right? Oh, she's got a spirit that lets her tell the future, but when you realize that the word spirit really means demon, she has a demon that allows her to tell the future, meaning she is possessed and being used by her masters to make them money. By her telling fortunes for other people, people would pay her, or really her masters, to tell them fortunes, and so then her masters would get rich off of her fortunes. And what happens in this, in this story, and a theme of this story, is a series of disruptions. There are going to be things that occur that disrupt the status quo of what is happening. Interestingly, the first person who causes the disruption is the slave girl, because she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Right away, interestingly, she tells a fortune, and it's correct. That is what Paul and Silas are there to do, and Timothy and Luke, of course, and they're actually successful in doing so. But they're less successful because of the disruption this slave girl is causing. Remember where they are. They're in the place of prayer. And so someone shouting around a place of prayer, obviously not ideal for communicating the gospel. Also, if you've ever tried to share Jesus, share the gospel with people, there is a deal of subtlety required. There is an amount of subtlety required, right? Because if someone is not a believer and you shove it down their throats and you hold a sign on the street corner and say, believe in God or you're going to hell, it doesn't actually turn people towards Jesus and oftentimes turns them away from Jesus. And so if someone who isn't a believer yet is, you know, Paul's trying to come up to them and tell them the gospel, and all of a sudden this girl's like, this guy's about to tell you about Jesus, they're probably going to run away or at the minimum be more timid and more shy about it. And it's going to be less effective for Paul because of this. And this goes on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. What's interesting is Paul probably had this power to exercise this demon from day one. All he had to do was say, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And the demon left her. But he chose to wait. He chose to let this go on day after day. And I wonder why that is. What it does remind me of is Jesus. Throughout Jesus' life, and specifically the stories we see in the gospel, you'll see him heal people. You'll see him perform miracles. You'll see him teach. And oftentimes, especially early on in his ministry, what he'd say after he performed a miracle or healed someone, he'd be like, don't tell anyone I did this. Don't tell anyone it was me. And that sounds weird to us because, of course, we're called to share the gospel, tell others about Jesus. And Jesus himself was telling people, don't spread the message yet. And why did he do this? Well, most people think he did this to, in a sense, delay the inevitable. He knew the more people found out about what he was doing, well, then the more the Pharisees would hear it. And, of course, the Pharisees ended up getting Jesus crucified. And so the quicker he would be crucified. And so the longer he was able to delay that, the longer he was able to delay the inevitable there, the more teaching he could do, the more miracles he could perform, conf 
perform. The more times and the more time he would be able to spend with the disciples teaching and coaching them and allowing them to grow in their faith and so that when Jesus did leave them, they would be able to effectively take over the church. I think Paul might be doing something similar here. He knows when he exercised this demon, disruption is going to occur. And the way he's doing ministry now will no longer be able to happen. And so he might be delaying the inevitable so he can teach and share the gospel with as many people as possible before this happens. But eventually he gets fed up and he exercises the demon and instantly it left her. Now Luke, the author of Acts, does something cool here in the Greek doesn't really appear to us in English, but in the Greek, this word for left is exerchomai. You can see it written out in Greek and then the way we can kind of read it easily uh, as English speakers uh, there. So exerchomai, which means to be, to go out. And so the demon went out of this slave girl. Then the next verse, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. This word for shattered, also exerchomai. And so just like the demon had left the girl, now the money-making method of the slaves, of, of the slaves' masters, had left them. Demon had gone out, their money had gone out with it. And this is the real disruption. This is the real problem that occurs in this story, is that their money-making method is now gone. Because without this demon, the girl can't tell the future, can't predict the future, and so she's not going to make any money. And so they were upset about this, and so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before, before the authorities at the marketplace. And what they do before these authorities is they say this, the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. And this is interesting. They bring Paul and Silas to the city officials. Now, to us, that sounds like a reasonable thing to do until you realize who the city officials were. These were kind of the people in charge of the city, the top dogs in the city. How the Roman Empire worked is in these uh, specific cities, there'd be people left in charge of these cities, and so they would be in charge, and the city officials were the ones in charge. Now, they were under the authority of the Roman Empire still, but in the city of Philippi, these city officials were the most important people. They were the ones in charge, and there was only a couple of them. And so these slave masters drag Paul and Silas to the city officials. They don't bring them to the police. They don't bring them to like kind of the first line of defense. No, they bring them to the people in charge immediately, which is a crazy thing to do. Like that'd be the equivalent of someone wronging you today and you drag them to the mayor or you drag them to the city council. That's just not what you do. And yet that's what they do which probably shows they had some amount of pull in this city. And it's interesting who they bring to the city officials to, right? Because who they bring is Paul and Silas. And yet they weren't the only ones on this missionary journey. No, Timothy and Luke were with them. Well, Paul and Silas, yes, were probably the most vocal of the people on the group and certainly the most people in charge, and so they're bringing the leaders there. But certainly what they also were, were also the most Jewish. Now, Timothy was half Jewish, but he was also half not Jewish. And Luke, by no accounts, was Jewish at all, seems to be entirely Gentile. And so they specifically brought the Jewish people to the city officials. And the reason they do this is because just a few years prior, it's hard to know exactly how long, 
Jewish people had been kicked out of Rome. Not the empire, but the city of Rome for causing uproars. There's not a lot uh, in history to tell us exactly what happened. It's recorded briefly in the book of Acts and passing. It's mentioned that this happened. And then some other secular sources as well that tell us that the Jews were kicked out of Rome. But it doesn't really tell us why other than they were causing disruptions. But the people in Philippi would have known this, and the slave masters would have known this, and the city officials would have known this, and they would have been afraid of this happening in their city too. And so the slave masters use this to their advantage. They don't actually care that these people are Jewish. What they care about is that they took their money-making method, and so they want them to get punished for it. But what they complain about is that these Jewish people are causing an uproar, and they're teaching us customs that are illegal for us to practice. Now, Judaism wasn't outlawed in the Roman Empire, but there were a list of gods that you were allowed to worship in the Roman Empire. And of course, this was a long list if you ever have looked at Roman mythology. There's certainly a lot of gods. But one person who wasn't one of those gods was this guy from Nazareth, this place in the Roman Empire, who was just around a couple of years ago, not that, many, not that long ago. And of course, we're talking about Jesus. And so this was someone they certainly weren't allowed to worship. And so because of this, a mob quickly forms. People get all riled up about these Jews and how they're going to cause an uproar in this city. And so the mob forms against Paul and Silas, and the city officials order them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. And they were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now, what's interesting here to me is that Paul and Silas were treated here like they were the worst of prisoners. I mean, all they did was teach some people about God and exercise a demon, which on the surface feels like a good thing, and yet they're treated like murderers, right? Where would you... Where would you put a murderer? Well, as far into the dungeon as you can get and make sure they do not get out. Right? They weren't just in the dungeon, they were in the inner dungeon, which means a wall behind a wall. And on top of that, their feet were clamped, so they couldn't even move around while they were in this inner dungeon. Which means they really don't want to make sure that these people do not escape. And yet in the midst of this horrible imprisonment, after they had been severely beaten, and humiliated. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. In the midst of all this hardship, they still worshipped God. They still turned to God in prayer in the midst of their hardships, and they still sang praise and worship to him in the midst of it. And in, by doing this, they were able to continue their ministry, even though it looked different than it did on the outside of prison. On the inside of prison, they were able to still share the gospel with other prisoners, because now other prisoners heard the good news. And suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in prison for sharing the gospel, for telling people about God, and while I'm in prison, I'm praying to God, and I'm singing worship songs to God, and in the midst of me singing to God, suddenly there's an earthquake, and my shackles fell off, and the doors open, I'd think that's a sign. <laughs> I would think, God wants me to get out of here. 
I'm going to scoot on out of here. But that's not what they do. No, what goes on to happen is the jailer wakes up to see the prison doors wide open. And of course, what he assumes is the prisoners had escaped. And so he draws his sword to kill himself. The reason he does this is because not that long ago, just before Paul's missionary's journeys, there was a story in the book of Acts where Peter had been in prison and he escaped prison. And the jailers, who were responsible for him, were questioned and then executed for this. And on top of that, it was law that jailers were, if they let the prisoners go, if they let the prisoners escape, they were to be punished. However, the prisoners they let escaped be, were sentenced to be punished. So they would receive the punishment on behalf of the prisoners. So the jailer knew he was in for a bad time, and so he wanted no part of this. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. No, we chose to stick around. And i got to imagine it's not because they liked being in prison so much, but out of love for this jailer because they knew what would happen to him if they did escape. Now what's interesting is not only Paul and Silas stick around, but all the other prisoners too. And Luke doesn't even really tell us why or even hint at it. But I think it probably had something to do with Paul and Silas singing the worship songs and praying and the other prisoners hearing it. Now the jailer then called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He had heard, the jailer had heard why Paul and Silas were in prison, for sharing the gospel, for telling others about Jesus. And just like the other prisoners, he probably also heard what they were doing while in prison. He probably heard them praying. He probably heard them singing songs of worship. And he knew that them not leaving was the reason he was still alive. And so their love for him by not leaving the prison encouraged him to become faithful. And so he does what so many of us do when we first discover Christianity. What so many of us still sometimes think to this day is he asks this question, what must I do to be saved? How can I go to heaven? How can I not be punished? And although this is an honest question, it's the wrong question. Because we don't do anything to be saved. We're saved by Jesus' grace and his grace alone, not by what we do. And so they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That's it. Just have faith. And along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. By Paul and Silas being faithful in prison, they were able to share the gospel. They were to share God's love with not only the other prisoners, but the jailer, and now the jailer's family too. And instantly it has an impact on the jailer. He becomes faithful because he now believes in God and has faith. That faith gets lived out because even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. He showed his faith by taking care of Paul and Silas remember, were just severely beaten. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He then lives out his faith by showing this outward sign of God's inward blessing, inward salvation, inward grace in his life already by being baptized, and then having everyone else in his family get baptized too. So then he brings Paul and Silas into his house and sets a meal before them. He dines with them, he cares for them, and he and his entire household rejoiced 
because they all believed in God. Because of Paul and Silas's faithfulness in jail, all of these people came to know God and came to be faithful in their own lives too. Now we're not going to get into this, but Paul and Silas are released the next day from jail, and it doesn't even really tell us exactly why, although there is a technicality that comes up in that uh, Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, and the city officials find out about this, and they're like, oh no, we messed up, we shouldn't have done this. But that's not super relevant to what we're talking about today. What is, is that Paul and Silas were faithful despite their circumstances. Despite being thrown in jail, they remained faithful. Despite a girl who had a demon shouting behind them, they continued to share the gospel. Despite being thrown in jail and being beaten, they continued to love and sing to God. Despite being in prison, they were able to share God's love to the prisoners and the jailer. They were able to remain faithful to the jailer's family too. And the jailer was faithful despite his past mistakes. Now, we don't know how bad or good the jailer was before this story, but he probably had some sin in his life, and yet he showed faithfulness here. And he certainly made one big mistake in his life. Number one in the job description of jailer is don't let the prisoners out, and he failed at this. He made a huge mistake there, and yet he still was faithful. Right, God through his grace alone, allows us to be faithful no matter where we're at in life. And I think that's what we can take away from this story is that we can be faithful in every circumstance. Maybe we're like the jailer. You know, we're not feeling like we're doing the best. We've messed up. We've made mistakes. We're sinful. We've gone the wrong direction. Yet God still calls us to be faithful. We don't have to get right with him before we start coming to church. We don't have to do all the right things and get our lives in order before we can be faithful. No, we can be faithful. We can believe, and from that will flow the other things. And we can be faithful in those hardships. Or maybe we're more like Paul and Silas, and we've fallen on hard times through no fault of our own. Or in fact, through by being faithful, we're now on hard times. We can be faithful in those circumstances Right? No matter where we're at in life, hard times are probably going to come at some point. And it might not be being in prison, but it might be through sickness or those around us being sick. It might be through our grief. It might be through other hardships in our life. Maybe it's through broken relationships. Maybe it's through hard economic times for us. Whatever it may be, whatever hardships we're going through, we can be faithful. Or maybe it's through hardships we've created for ourselves, like the jailer. We've sinned. We've made mistakes. We've messed up. God calls us to remain faithful even after those moments too. No matter how long or how many times we've messed up, we are called back to God and to be faithful in those circumstances too. So how do we be faithful? Well, we can be like Paul and Silas. We can pray. We can sing to God. We can share his message with others. We can come to church to meet other people and, and have them encourage us in our faith and encourage them in our faith, in their faith too. We can join a small group and do, do that too so that when our friends and those people in the small group, when they fall in hard times, we can be there to encourage them and they can encourage us in our hard times too. Maybe just at home, 
We can spend time, instead of mindlessly doing things on social media or watching TV, spend a little bit of time being faithful, getting into the Word, getting into prayer, spending some time listening to worship music. Whatever it is, be faithful there too. We can be faithful in our generosity. We can be faithful in our service. Yes, we can serve in official capacities at Christ Church. We'd love to have you serve here. We can serve out in the community through our strategic partners or just community events that you know of too. And we can just be serviceful, have a servant's heart in just how we live, whether it's not in an official capacity, but just we're walking into the restaurant, we hold a door for someone, we see a piece of trash out in public and we pick it up. Right? No matter what we're at in life, no matter our circumstances, no matter our situations, we're called to be faithful. So church, be faithful. Be faithful to God whether you're in prison, whether you've let the prisoners out, or no matter what you're going through. Be faithful in every circumstance. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. That no matter where we've messed up in our lives, no matter how far we've turned away from you, no matter the hardships we are actively and currently going through, we thank you and we praise you that you have remained faithful to us that you have bestowed upon us your grace. Jesus, we thank you for your death on the cross, but we thank you for your resurrection too, that you defeated death, you defeated sin, you defeated brokenness, and you've already put to death all the mistakes we've gone through and we're currently doing as well. Jesus, we pray that as we go about our next days, our next weeks, the next years, that we continue to be faithful no matter the circumstances we're going through, whether they're great or whether they're hard. God, once again, we praise you for all you've done in our lives. We just ask that you continue to be faithful to us, and we know that you will. We love you. pray these things in your holy and precious name, the name of Jesus. Amen.